so much for the opportunity we have today to worship you through song. And uh, Lord, now as we come to this passage in Genesis 22, we get an opportunity to worship you through your word. And uh, Lord, we just we just look forward to what you're going to teach us today uh, as we read these verses and uh, as we look at this great story of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. But Lord, as we go up that hill with Abraham, I please open our spiritual eyes, Lord, that, that we can see just what's taking place here, that there's something much greater than just uh, the sacrifice of Abraham's son, that there's a picture given to us here of the great sacrifice that, Lord, you made for us on a cross some 2,000 years ago. And so, Lord, I just ask that uh, today, that especially today, that, that uh, you open our hearts to worship you, Lord. That's what we're going to do in this text, and I just ask that you help us with that process. And, uh, Lord, we can only worship, we can only study, we can only sing praises to you. We can only pray by your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for your spirit to guide our service today. I just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Not long after I got saved, Brenda and I took a vacation to the Grand Canyon. Uh, Eli was just a baby then. And and so one day I wanted to hike down in the canyon, canyon away. So I took a hike down into the Grand Canyon. I got about a mile down into the canyon, and I, I knew, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon and hiked in the canyon, it's real easy going down, but it's real tough going back up. And so I decided to take a break, and so I sat there on a rock, and, and as I was sitting there, you're, you're all alone down there, and, and I was looking at that beautiful view. I mean, just what a panoramic view, those cliffs above me, the, the Colorado River raging below uh, across the way, the canyon, the cliffs on the canyon there, the, the blue skies turned those cliffs purple. I mean, it just was an absolutely beautiful sight, especially for a new believer. Just taking in that, look at what our creator has done for us. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm really worshiping God, and all of a sudden I hear the sound of hoofbeats. And, and, and I see, I look down the trail, and there's this big horn sheep running right at me. And, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he leaped. I mean, it's almost as if he flew. And I thought he was committing suicide. I mean, I know I looked bad, but I didn't think I looked that bad. But, I mean, it was, it, I mean, he just leaped, and he leaped, and he landed on a ledge right above me. And there's this beautiful view of these blue skies, these puffy clouds, and this big horn sheep standing there on that ledge. And I'm fumbling around trying to get my camera out and get a picture, just hoping he would stay. And he just stood there for the longest time. And I did get the picture. That's the picture you have if you look on the cover of your bulletin. That's the ram I saw right there on that ledge. And as I, and as I was looking at that ram, I was reminded of the story that we're going to look at today in Genesis chapter 22 especially the part where Abraham calls the Lord Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And the reason he calls him Jehovah-Jireh is because the Lord provided a lamb for the sacrifice instead of his son Isaac. But what we're going to see today as we look at this story is that that picture goes way past the time of Abraham all the way to the time 
of Jesus Christ when he became the Lamb of God who died for our sins on a cross. So we're going to look at that as we, as we look at this story today. Well, last week when we left off in chapter 22, we had looked at verse number 1. And if you remember, the Lord called out to Abraham. I mean, Abraham had heard from the Lord in, in several years. And then all of a sudden, the Lord calls out to him. And he says, Abraham. And what was Abraham's response? Abraham said immediately, here I am. And by saying, here I am, what Abraham was saying was that, Lord, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. Now, I know we say that all the time, but that's a dangerous thing to say. And it was a dangerous thing for Abraham to to be thinking because the Lord's going to call on him to do something that uh, I don't know if he would have uh, said, here I am, if he had knew what the Lord was going to tell him to do. But look at the next verse. Look at verse number two. He says, now, take now your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, on the top of the mountain that I'm going to tell you about. I'm going to show you. And and amazingly enough, Abraham immediately obeyed the Lord. I think the Abraham the Lord came to Abraham on one day, and then the very next day he proceeds to do exactly what the Lord had told him to do. Look at verse number three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled up his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now why was Abraham so quick to obey such what seemed to be such a terrible command? I mean, Lord, what are you thinking? You want me to, I mean, I waited 25 years for a son, and now you want me to go up and you want me to sacrifice my son? Well, the reason he was willing to obey is because he knew that God is true to his word, and God is not a liar. And that if he was to sacrifice his son, then God was going to have to do one of two things. He was going to have to stop the sacrifice, or as we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, he concluded that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead if he sacrificed his son. So Abraham heads out to Mount Moriah and, and uh, he, he's, gonna, uh, uh, he's facing the most daunting task of his life, the sacrifice of his own son. Now look at verse number four. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place, the place where God had told him he was to sacrifice his son. He saw it from afar off. And what was that place? That place was the hills of Moriah, uh, the, the, where, where Jerusalem sits today. Those hills that overlook the Kidron Valley. And across from the Kidron Valley is the Mount of Olives. And, and so here was Abraham. Uh, at this point, he's waited three days. And for three days, I mean, his son was as good as dead in his eyes. And so when you're facing a task like that, uh, you, you just want to get it over with. And so Abraham was ready to do what he had to do. He was ready to, to, to sacrifice his son. Uh, then we go to verse number five. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. Uh, and the lad and I will go up yonder and worship and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Now, Notice his confidence here, first of all. He says, we will come back. 
Abraham knows that he's coming back. He doesn't say, I'm going to come back. He says, we will come back. So he's confident that somehow or the other, he's coming back down that hill with Isaac. Now, why does he say to the, to the young man here, he says to them, uh, you stay here and we're going to go make this sacrifice. I'll tell you why, because this was a private matter. It was a private matter between God and this father and this son. And Abraham also says here, he says, he says, we're going to go yonder and worship. And Abraham was right in saying that he was going to worship the Lord. Because what Abraham is doing here is an astounding act of worship. There is no better way. Listen to me carefully here. There is no better way to worship the Lord than to be obedient to the Lord. We can get up here and we can sing all the worship songs we want to sing. But if we're not obedient to the Lord, we're not worshiping the Lord. Remember when Saul uh, disobeyed the Lord. And remember what Samuel said to him in 1 Samuel 15, 22. He says, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices? As much he does. But as much, Samuel says, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. So obedience is worship. I mean, worshiping the Lord's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. Singing praise songs to the Lord is a great thing. But when you sing, I surrender all, uh, you're either surrendering all or you're a liar. And very few people surrender at all. So we have to be real careful about how we worship the Lord. But when we worship the Lord, I think number one and we, the number one thing we need to have in the mind is that we're going to be obedient to the Lord. And Abraham was going to be obedient to the Lord, and his great obedience was going to be great worship. Now look at verse number six. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand, or the kindling in his hand, and a knife. And the two of them went together and began to climb that hill. Now, how ironic is that? That the sacrifice would would carry the wood for his own sacrifice up the hill. Uh, And and Abraham carried the kindling and the knife. Now, Isaac's got to be a little bit suspicious at this point. I mean, I'm carrying the wood. Uh, My dad's carrying the fire and the knife. Where's the sacrifice. We don't have any doves. We don't have any lambs. We don't have any goats. We don't have anything to sacrifice. And so he says, so we see in verse number seven, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father and said, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the, or the ram literally for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide. Elohim Jireh. Now that's not as personal as Jehovah Jireh. And I don't think Abraham's feeling that personal to God at this point. He's really dreading what he's going to have to do. And so he calls him Elohim Jireh. He says God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And uh, then in verse number 9. And Abraham's thinking at this point. Hey, he's, he's saying he's going to provide a, a lamb, but it, it, he knows it's going to be Isaac. And so 
uh, he's, he's dreading this. No doubt he's dreading this. And then they came to the place, verse number 9, which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there, and he placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So he ties his son up. Uh, he prepares the altar, puts the wood down that he had carried up the, that Isaac had carried up the mountain. He bounds Isaac and he lays Isaac on the wood. And so uh, you got to think about that a minute. Here is Abraham. At this point, he's at least 130 years old. Uh, Isaac, we, we made the case last week that Isaac was probably in his early 30s. He was a young man. And in that Jewish culture, a man became a man when he was 30. And so he was a young man. And he was probably uh, at least in his early 30s. And so how in the world could Abraham tie Isaac up? And now Isaac's got to figure it out at this point that he's the sacrifice. And, and, and so it's amazing to me, the only way that he could have done that would be that Isaac allowed him to do that. And that's amazing to me. That speaks volumes about the character and faith of Isaac, that he would be obedient to his father even unto death, that he would allow him to bind him knowing that his father's going to kill him and then burn him up as a burnt offering unto the Lord. So Isaac's learning a lot from this situation too. Then in verse number 10, and Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. Now, Abraham was ready to kill his son. There is no doubt about it. He was about to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God that you revere God since you have not withheld your only son from me now I want you to look at the what's happening here who's the players here the players are Abraham and God and who is God he is the angel of the Lord because look what he says he says he says I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son from who not from God from me And so the angel of the Lord is none other than God himself. He is Jehovah. And who is is the angel of the Lord? Uh, He's God in the flesh, God in a body. And who is God in a body? There's only one God in a body. That's none other than Jesus Christ. So this is a theophany that's taking place right here. This is the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And, And what a time to be there. And so... He calls out to Abraham, and he doesn't just say Abraham. He says, Abraham, Abraham. And, 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 and that's a term of endearment. And so, so it's as if Abraham, he says to Abraham, Abraham, I love you because you love me, and, and you, show, you have shown your love to me by your obedience to, to what I've called you to do, this, this seemingly terrible thing that I've called you to do. And the reason you've shown your obedience is because you have faith, because you believe in my word. And look at Abraham's response right here. Again, going back to verse number 10, uh, uh, he, the Lord, uh, verse number 11, the Lord calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham. And what does Abraham say? Here I am. Here I am. Same thing he said in verse 1 when God first called him to make this sacrifice. He says the same thing again. He hasn't backed off one bit. Here I am, Lord. That means here I am, 
willing and ready to obey whatever you want me to do. I'm ready to plunge this knife into the heart of my son and offer him up for a burnt offering. But God's not going to let that happen because the Lord says to him, stop. Do not lay your hand on this young man, Isaac. Don't do anything to him. What's taking place right here, Abraham, is a test. A test of your faith. A test I knew you were going to pass because I know you revere me. I know you fear me. I know you love me. And now you know you love me too. You know your faith is real too. And guess what else? Isaac knows your faith is real too. You know, we kind of take Isaac out of the picture here. But think of what's going on in Isaac's mind right here. His dad was about to slay him and all of a sudden a voice comes out of the heaven and no doubt they see the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, stop. Don't do it. And Isaac says, thank you, Lord. And Abraham says, thank you, Lord. I mean, just think of how this event must have impacted Isaac. I mean, for the rest of his life. You think maybe he had the the faith that conquers mountains? You better believe he did. Listen, parents. The most important witness you have to your children is when they see your faith and obedience to God. Because when they see your faith and obedience to God, they see the presence of God in your life. They see the power of God in your life. When you live in a real relationship with the Lord, it's gonna, your kids are gonna see it. If your relationship is a fraud, they're gonna see that too. But when you're really walking in the power of God and the grace of God. They can't help but see God doing things in your life that are supernatural. It's the greatest witness you can possibly have. And Abraham had that witness. Then look at verse number 13. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt Offering instead of his son. Now can you imagine the joy that filled Abraham's heart at this point? For three days his son was as good as dead. And now it's as if he had been resurrected from the dead. He couldn't have received a greater gift that day than that ram in the thicket. Instead of having to offer up his son, God had provided him a sacrifice to offer up. To the Lord. Then look at verse number 14. And so Abraham called the name of the place, not Elohim Jireh, uh, but a much more personal name, Jehovah Jireh. That's what the Lord will provide. That's the trans, or that's the word that we translate, the Lord will provide. As it is said on this day in, on this very mount, literally is the translation. On this very mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You know what the Lord is saying to him there? He's saying to him right there that on the very spot where Isaac was bound for the sacrifice, the Lord would one day provide the ultimate sacrifice. And so what Abraham is doing right here, he doesn't realize it, 
but by the Spirit of God, he is prophesying uh, because look at the tense. He said he doesn't say the Lord provided. He says the Lord will provide on this very spot the ultimate sacrifice, uh, uh, and and which is we'll look at that in just a minute, which is none other than God Himself. So now the test is finished. Abraham's passed the test with flying colors, uh, and the Lord. Uh, so at this point, the Lord renews. The Abrahamic covenant. We've seen it before. We've seen it twice before, at least twice before. We've seen parts of it more than twice, all of it at least twice. And now we see it again. Verse number 15. Then the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham a second time out of the heaven, out of heaven, and said, By myself. Now why look at look at who's speaking here. It's the angel of the Lord, and he says, By myself I have sworn. Says who? The Lord. The Lord is sworn by himself. Who is the Lord? Jehovah. Who is the Lord? He's the angel of the Lord. He's sworn by himself. So there's no hyper-Trinitarianism here at all. I mean, God is God. God is, is, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and he is one God. The angel of the Lord is the Lord. He says, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you, multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the sea, on the seashore. And your descendant shall possess the gate of their enemies. They'll be victorious over their enemies. And in your seed, watch this, and here's the great promise. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How will they be blessed? The Lord himself will provide a sacrifice. He will come in the form of a human being, Emmanuel, God with us, to die on a cross for our sins. And he's going to come through Isaac's seed. Through, Isaac, through Abraham and Isaac and David and right on down the line until Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be, be blessed. Now watch this. And this is really interesting right here. He says, because you have obeyed my voice. Now that raises some really interesting questions right there. I mean, would God have withdrawn his blessing if Abraham had not passed this test? And the answer to that question is yes. Would God have not come to this earth as Jesus Christ if Abraham had not obeyed? And the answer to that question is yes, he would not have come to this earth. So Listen very carefully. Your salvation was dependent upon Abraham obeying God. You can go back to the flood. If Noah had not, if God had said, Noah, I want you, Noah was the only righteous man left on earth, him and his family. And if Noah had, God had said, Noah, I want you to build an ark because I want you to save the human race, he gave him a choice. And what did Abraham say? Here I am, Lord. I'll do exactly what you've called me to do. But if Abraham said, I'm not going to build that ark. I don't believe the rains are coming. I'm going to die with everybody else. Well, 
it would all have been over for mankind because we all come through Noah. Now, here's what's puzzling about it. I mean, you go back earlier and God made these promises to Abraham and they were unconditional promises. Unconditional. He told Abraham the same thing he tells him. Blessing I will bless you. Multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars which are in heaven. Uh, on the, uh, the sand on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemies. And your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In other words the Messiah is going to come through your seed. He made that unconditional promise before Abraham obeyed. But then it says because you have obeyed, obeyed my voice. I will fulfill these promises. So there was choice involved with God's sovereignty and God's election. If Abraham had not obeyed, then God and God had not fulfilled these promises, then God would be a liar. But it's impossible for God to lie. So how does all of this work out? Well, let me tell you how it works out. The reason God made these promises to Abraham is, and, and he made them unconditionally is because he knew Abraham would obey. He is the one who gave Abraham his faith. That's why, that's the same thing with our election. The reason you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world is because Christ knew that you would obey the gospel, that you would come to him, that you would believe. Christ, the Lord knew that Abraham, when he was called to offer Isaac at the point he called him, that he would do what God called him to do because God had given him that faith. God had nurtured his faith. God had brought him to a point where God, in his foreknowledge, knew what Abraham would do. That's why he, he could make an unconditional promise and then imply that it's a conditional promise when you come here to Genesis 22. Because all the unconditional promises of God are conditional on our choice. But God knows the choice we're going to make. Now, if I've confused you, that's good. Because it's very confusing. But that's the way it is. See, that's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Go with me to Romans chapter 8 for a minute. And here's where you reconcile election with choice. Romans chapter 8. I wasn't planning on chasing this rabbit, so I'm going to have to look for the verse that I'm looking for. I found it. Look at verse number 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And let's put Abraham in here. For whom God foreknew Abraham, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. See, he foreknew what was Abraham was going to do. And so he he predestined Abraham to be the one who, who the promises would come through, just like he predestined Noah. And th- those whom he predestined, then he called them. He called Abraham to come out of the land of Chaldea because he had predestined Abraham to answer that call. And he knew Abraham would answer that call or he wouldn't have called him. And, 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 and then he called Abraham to make this great sacrifice because he knew Abraham would make this great sacrifice. And those whom 
He called, he justified. Through what? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And those whom he justified, he will glorify. That's the process. And who's in charge of that process? Who's sovereign over that entire process? The Lord is sovereign over the entire process. If you're here and you're saved, it's because of the sovereignty of God. You're elected. If you're you're here and you're not saved and you're never going to be saved, it's because of the sovereignty of God. But you still have a choice. You believe the gospel, and you know what? You've been called. If you believe the gospel, then you're going to be saved. And you're going to find out when you're saved that you were saved before the foundation of the world. That's the way it works. That's the best I can explain it. Let's go back to the story now. So he passes this test with flying colors, and then we finish up the last verse. Uh, well, let's, let's stop here for a minute. I, I don't want to go to the last. Let me see. Yeah, let's, let's, hang, up. let's hang on to that for a minute. All right. By now, if you've been listening carefully, and your eyes have been open to this story as we've gone up this mountain with Abraham and Isaac. You probably have seen several parallels between this story and the gospel story. If you haven't, I'm going to show them to you now. All right, the first parallel that I see here uh, is found in verse number 2. Remember what he told Abraham, going back to Genesis 22, verse number 2. Remember what he said. He says, he told him to take his only son, his son whom he loved, and offer him as a sacrifice. Does that sound familiar? What's our favorite verse of all time? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son. His only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You think maybe God loved his son? You better believe he loved his son. Uh, he says in, remember when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 17. Uh, after he was baptized, the spirit came down on uh, Jesus in the form of a dove and the voice came out of heaven and it said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased you better believe God loves his son oh Isaac loved his son but he didn't love God loves his son infinitely more than I than than Abraham loved Isaac did I say Isaac loved his son uh, Abraham loved his son but uh, God loves us uh, God loves his son infinitely more than, than uh, Abraham loved Isaac. Now, what's, here's what's amazing. God loves his son infinitely more than Abraham loved Isaac. But God loves us as much as he loves his son. Get your mind around that for a minute. I mean, remember what Jesus said in John chapter 17. He said, I in them, that the world may know that you have loved them as you have loved me. You ha- he loves us as much 
as he loves his son. Now, that's some amazing love. And it all comes through amazing grace. The second thing that I see here, and you see it in verse number two, is that the Lord told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on a specific hill uh, in the land of Moriah, one of those hilltops that I'm going to show you. The, it, 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 that's what God said to Abraham. I'm going to show you the exact hilltop where I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Now, Jewish tradition says that the spot where, and a lot of Protestant tradition, says that the spot where Abraham sacrificed Isaac is where the holiest of holies was in the temple before it was destroyed. That exact spot. There's a couple of problems with that because, number one, you know what sits on that spot today? The Dome of the Rock sits on that very spot. And that's where they believe, the Jews still believe, that that's where Abraham sacrificed Isaac, exactly where the Dome of the Rock sits. So that causes a real religious problem, a political problem even, that, that they, they want that spot back. Now, the, the Muslims believe that too. Some of the Muslims believe that too. So that's a really holy site. And, and the reason, you can understand why the Jews believe that because they believe that the temple sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice. That day of atonement, that was the ultimate sacrifice that took place in the holiest of holies. But as Christians, we know that that was only a shadow of the ultimate sacrifice. And the ultimate sacrifice was made by Jesus Christ. And where was that sacrifice made? It was made outside the temple. Not not only outside the temple, it was made outside the city gates. Well, we know where that spot is. We have a good idea where that spot is. in the New Testament, it's called the place of the skull, Golgotha. And it's pretty easy to spot that place today. If you go to Jerusalem and you go outside the city gates and you go into the Muslim area there at East Jerusalem, you see a hilltop there that sits above the main bus station for that area. And you see this face of a skull sitting right there. And no doubt, in my mind, Jesus was sacrificed on the top of that hill right there. And that's exactly where Isaac was, sac- was to be sacrificed when Abraham took him up on that hill. It's, it's a really high spot, and you can see it right there. There's some other parallels. I mean, last week we made the case that Isaac was in his early 30s. How old was Jesus when he was crucified? He was 33 years old. I, I have a real hunch that Isaac was 33 when he went up that hill. Uh, Abraham's servants were told to stay at the bottom of the hill because this sacrifice, this sacrificial event was an event between uh, uh, God uh, and the Father and His Son. Uh, what took place on the cross at Calvary was an event that took place, but not between us. It was for us, but it took. It was an event that was private. It took place between. It was an event that took place between the Father and the Son. You know, I cringe when I hear people trying to explain exactly what happened on the cross. 
and they start going into detail of what God the Father did and what the Son did and what everything was going on. We're given some privy to some of the things that happened, some of the words that Jesus spoke, uh, like it is finished when it was all over with. But in that period of darkness, when the whole earth was dark, we don't know what took place then. Now, we do know theologically that all our sins were paid for during that dark hour when he, hours there, when he died for our sins on a cross. But all we can do is imagine what took place because that was taking place between the Father and the Son. We don't know exactly how God did that. All I know is that all my sins were placed on Jesus Christ and all the punishment for my sins were placed on Jesus Christ at the cross. And, 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 and that's all I know. And all your sins were placed on him. And you put us all our sins together and you put all of the suffering and pain for our sins just in this room and think of how he was tortured on that cross. And then you put all the sins of all time for every person who's ever lived and you place those on Jesus at the cross and the punishment for those sins at the cross. And, and, and it's way beyond anything we possibly can imagine what he suffered on that cross. Like Isaac, Jesus carried the wood for his sacrifice up to the top of that hill. But he didn't carry just a few logs. He carried an old rugged cross. And like Isaac, Jesus went willingly up that hill. And he was willingly bound to the wood for the sacrifice. But he wasn't bound with ropes. He was bound with nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And like Isaac, and this is one of the things that just amazes me about this event. I mean, it amazes me that Isaac was silent through all of this. But, and, it, and it's just as much more amazing that Jesus, the king of glory who could have called down legions of angels, was silent while all of this was taking place. He said only a few words. But here's where the stories totally part. When Abraham had prepared the sacrifice to kill his son, and he pulled back the knife, God said, stop, stop. But when the sacrifice had been prepared on the cross, when Jesus had been nailed to that cross, his feet had been nailed to the cross, and his hands had been nailed to the cross, the Lord pulled back his hand, and he plunged the knife into the heart of Jesus Christ. And like Isaac, for three days, Jesus was as good as dead in his father's eyes. But, here's one of those good buts, but on the third day, everything changed to good news. Good news means that's, the translation for the gospel. Everything changed to the gospel. On the third day, Isaac was delivered from sure death. And on the third day, Jesus was delivered from sure death. He was resurrected from the dead. Now, there you have it. There you have it. You've got the gospel right there in Genesis chapter 22. I remember years ago when I was living in Las Vegas, right before we moved, I had a Jewish friend that lived in an apartment next to us, and I took him to this passage 
I, he never read the Old Testament. I said, your Old Testament's the same as our Old Testament. Yeah, he agreed with that. I said, let me show you this, because I was trying to witness to him about Jesus Christ. Just read this story. And then I want to take you to Psalms 22. It's interesting. It's another 22. Read Genesis 22 and just chew on it a little bit. And it didn't take him long to figure it out, that it was about the Lord. And, and Genesis 22 about the Lord on the cross. And he said, man, I want some more of this. And I gave him a book by Josh McDowell where he takes all these prophecies in the Old Testament and shows how they were fulfilled in the New Testament. And this guy was really interested in, in, in knowing the Lord based upon this amazing story. This amazing story that took place almost exactly 2,000 years after, before Jesus was crucified on the cross. Let's go to the last verse of our story. And let me give you a little background for that. You got to believe that before Abraham went on this journey, he told Sarah what he was going to do. He told Sarah what the Lord had told him to do. And I imagine she, she didn't like it at all. But Sarah had faith too. I mean, she knew that she wouldn't have Isaac if it wasn't for the Lord. And so she agreed to this. But i got to believe, here's Abraham and he leaves and he's gone for three days. And i got to believe she was mourning for her son and she was crying out to the Lord and she was begging the Lord for three days. I mean, in her eyes, he was as good as dead. And yet, you know, she believed, like Abraham, that the Lord was able to raise him up and she believed that maybe he would stop it, the Lord would stop it. But she didn't know. And for three days, she suffered over her son. And then on the third day, she looks. And I'm kind of reminded of the disciples when, when, when Jesus appeared to them on the third day. She looks on the horizon and she sees this group of men coming down the hill and, 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 and she counts. And there's one, and there's, there's two, and there's three. And thank God, there's four. Isaac's coming with them too. Isaac had been spared. And, and, and I just, I don't think we can even imagine the joy that filled her heart at that point because, because of what had happened, uh, the fact that Isaac had been spared. But you know what? Something much greater had happened than, this, than just Isaac's life on this earth being spared. Something much greater had happened there on Mount Moriah. God had given them a picture of not only how they would be spared, Isaac would be spared in this earthly life, but how he would be spared eternal death and how Sarah would be spared eternal death and how Abraham would be spared eternal death and how you and I would be spared eternal death by Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. None other than the angel of the Lord, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ himself. That's who died for us on the cross. My two favorite names are two of my favorite names. I don't know if they're necessarily my favorite, but two of my favorite names for God have appeared in our text this week. The text on Wednesday night and the text today. Wednesday night, we saw 
God, David named God, he named the place where God had delivered him, he named it Baal Perazim. And what does that mean? It means the master, the master of breakthroughs. The master of breakthroughs. I don't know about you, have you ever been in a spot that you just couldn't get out of? And you needed to get out of it so bad in a rut you just couldn't get out of? Well, you know who we serve? We serve Baal Perazim, the master of breakthroughs. Eventually, he's going to get you out of that spot if you're a child of God. I mean, call him like that. Baal Perazim, deliver me from this rut I'm in. And the other, one of my other favorite names of God appears here in Genesis 22. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. I mean, how many times... In your Christian walk, is there something you really need? And I'm not talking about a new truck or motorcycle or something like that, but something you really need. You really need something bad. And, and, and to continue on in your ministry, to continue on raising your family, I mean, you've got to have food to eat, right? You've got to have certain things in life. But, and, and you can call upon the Lord. You can say, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord's going to provide. I know he's going to provide. I've heard people say that over and over again. Jehovah Jireh. I know he's Jehovah Jireh. I know he will provide. Those are great names to call the Lord or to use to call upon the Lord. Baal Perazim and and Jehovah Jireh. But let me say this. They take on their greatest significance when it comes to salvation. This August the 23rd marks 30 years since I was in a terrible rut. I'm talking about a rut I didn't see any way out of. I should have perished right there in that rut. But Baal Perazim, the master of breakthroughs, broke through my life and he delivered me. And the only way that he could deliver me was to show me the way to straighten out my life. And he showed me a cross. He showed me a picture of a cross in a certain way. And, and that he is Jehovah Jireh. That he provided the ultimate sacrifice for my sins. When he became a man and he offered himself up on that cross. There's not a better name than Jehovah Jireh. It's right there up there. Really close with Jesus, the ultimate name for God, Jehovah of salvation. He's the master of breakthroughs, and he's going to provide. And if you're not living in a relationship with the Lord, I mean, go back and read this and look at what the Lord's done for you. Read the Gospels. Give your life to the Lord, and then you'll come to know him too as the master of breakthroughs, the Lord who will provide. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. Lord, that that you made this wonderful sacrifice that's pictured here in Genesis 22 on a cross for us. Lord, you died for us. You, You were punished for our sins. You were, Lord, you were beaten and you were... You, you, you were nailed to a cross, and no, we don't know what else took place on that cross, Lord, but all we know is that when you, when you, were, when you were, gave up your spirit, before you gave up your spirit, you said, it is finished. Lord, you had done all you could do for us to save us. 
all our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west if we'll just put our faith in you. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, We just thank you for your word. And we do worship you, Lord. We're so grateful to you for what you've done. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Y'all stand. We're closing the song. Fantastic week. God bless.